Bible, join me in Jeremiah chapter 9. All right, so we come to Jeremiah chapter 9 as we have been going through our scripture reading. Jeremiah is the prophet that has the job God has given him to go and deliver the message to the nation of Israel. As he goes to deliver the message, Jeremiah has an unenviable task because he doesn't have good news. I will often call Kara and I will say something to the effect of, I've got good news and bad news. And normally the good news is really not that good of news whenever I say that. And she knows that. And I actually got that phrase from a friend of mine. He said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is the fire's already been put out. And so it kind of gives you the idea that the good news really isn't all that good of news. Well, when it comes to Jeremiah here, it's one of those, I've got good news and bad news. And it's really pretty much all bad news here. The nation of Israel has so rejected God that Jeremiah has the message to deliver them that God is bringing judgment on them as a nation. If you will, here in chapter 9, just look at verse 13. And the Lord saith, because they, the nation of Israel, have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein but have walked after the imaginations of their own heart and after Balaam and after their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also. And this goes on and on and on. The message that they're getting is the message of God's judgment on them because of their heart. And because of the way that they have rejected God and they have sought after other false gods. Now, even in this, as we learned on Sunday morning a couple weeks back, oftentimes God's discipline is a showing of his grace. He's trying to get Israel back to him. Well, as this passage continues on, we see a principle in this passage that in light of today, oh, how we need this passage. Now, Fortuitously for us, we are not in Israel's condition here in which we are facing the impending judgment of God and destruction of our nation. That's not it. But the principle of the behavior of man is so true then that it is today. Look, if you will, now with me in verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Now, without a doubt, that verse tells us a lot about our culture today. We live in a day and age in which people love to glory in themselves. If you look globally, really, and especially nationally, at the group of people that have the greatest percentage of God-rejectors, whether they would be straight-out atheists, whether they would be agnostic, whether they would be those that would just reject the God of the Bible. If you had to look for concentrated hubs of the greatest percentage of individuals that reject God, you would have to look no further than the campus of higher education. Because any setting in which man glories in his own mind and education is exalted, man becomes exalted, humanism is taught on so many of those campuses, that there becomes this lifting up of man and man begins to glory in his own wisdom, in his own knowledge, in his own ability. And when man begins to glory in himself, then instantly as he raises himself up, he begins to reject God. 
we see it equally in the world of entertainment around us. When you begin to look at individuals who are very successful in their entertainment field, there is a great deal of glorying in themselves. You take professional athletes. Every time they do something successful, they have to let everybody know they did something successful. And so they have their own little dances and their own little shows and their own little things where they show off and they show the glory of themselves. Now, certainly that is not true of everyone. Now, I know we have a lot of Nationals fans in here uh, being in Braves country, uh, but it, the Nationals just won the World Series. That's a baseball team, by the way. Okay, so the Nationals are a baseball team. They just won the World Series. After the World Series, they interviewed the third baseman for the Washington Nationals. Now, whether you like him or not, just stay with me. Okay, so Rendon was interviewed. Rendon had a great season. Again, whether you like him or not, he hit over 300. I believe he had 34 home runs. He led the league in RBIs, runs batted in. In the World Series, in the seventh game of the World Series, he hit, was it the tying home run? Or he got, I can't remember if it was a tying home run. I know Soto walked and then Kendrick hit the go-ahead home run. But, but anyway, he hits a home run there in the seventh inning. And he was interviewed afterwards. And they interviewed Rendon and they said, Hey, you seem so calm when you get up to bat. How is it that you stay so calm? And he was really talking about his heart rate. He said, How do you keep your heart rate so calm? Now, for a guy who has had the success, and all things being equal, he will get a baseball contract this summer, somewhere, or this winter, somewhere in the range of $300 million. Okay, so, so he's going to make a lot of money because of the year he just had. When he was asked that question, here was a guy who could have easily gloried in who he is. His answer was great. He said, you know what? He said, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has just given me the ability to keep things in perspective. He said, there are guys getting shot at for our country. We're just playing a game. Here's a guy who understands it's just a game. It's just a game. And he chooses not to glory in his own ability. Yet so many times, as individuals, we pick things in life where we're a little bit better than average, and we love to glory in our own ability. Look now, if you will, at verse 24. But let him that glorieth. So if you're going to glory in something, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We have here a great picture. As you go through life, don't glory in your own wisdom. Don't glory in your own abilities. Don't glory in a ball game. Don't go Learn to glory in the thing that matters most. And then he gives us an even better understanding of what that is. Let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Do you understand that knowing God is the glorious, defining privilege of mankind? Knowing God is the privilege that you and I have through Jesus Christ. 
The ability for us to know God exceeds all that we can imagine, all that we can think. And when it comes right down to it, if you're going to glory in anything, set aside all of your abilities, set aside all your riches, set aside all that you can do, and face the fact, the reality, that it is the privilege of your life to know God. When we think of eternity, when we think of everlasting life, we have different pictures in our mind of what heaven will be like. And the Bible tells us a great deal about heaven, but certainly not an extensive understanding. But in John, Jesus Christ said, and this is life eternal, that we may know him. The fact that we can know God the God of all creation, the God of the universe, and we can have fellowship with him. That is the thing that we should glory in. That is the privilege of our life. Now, I want us to look at this verse, verse 24. I want to make sure we understand the phrases here in the verse, and then we're going to look at it and expand it just a little bit. Here in verse 24, let him that glory, this is to make a show. So there's nothing fancy about the terminology here. Let him that's going to make a show, make a show about the fact. And that fact is this, that we can know and understand God. To know is to see, to see what's going on, to see what's happening around us, and to see God's hand intervening and acting in this world. To understand is to be circumspect. This is to look around. This is to become an expert. There are things that you and I know about. I know a little bit about cars, right? meaning I can tell you different kinds of cars. I can even tell you that a car has an internal combustion engine. I can vaguely tell you the difference between a gas engine and a diesel engine and how the pressure is different, and that's what causes the spark. I know to get a car to run, you need three things, gas, air, and spark. I understand pistons. I understand cams. I understand crankshafts. Now, some of you are going, I got no idea what that means. Okay, so I would say that I know a little bit about engines. But if I had to build one, I'd be in a lot of trouble. I couldn't get my lawnmower to run if I had to build it. I know, but I am by no means an expert. The word knoweth here is that idea of circumspect so that you you see and you know around you and you understand you've become an expert about it you're very good at what you do when there's an expert involved everything gets easier if you want to glory glory in this that you have the ability to see God working and to understand and become an expert about God. Now, if I ask you tonight, hey, do you consider yourself an expert about God? Most of us would probably say no. And I think in humility, we probably ought to. Because the reality is, the one who knows him best doesn't know him at all, hardly. But there is a privilege that we have that in all of who God is, we can gain an understanding. And if you're going to glory, if you're going to boast about something, if you're going to seek out something in life to become an expert at, here's what you should seek out becoming an expert at. Understanding God. 
continue on. That I am the Lord. That's Jehovah God. <laughs> this is great because we put these things in such contrast. Which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Here are three things that when we look at them, we see them as opposites, but they are so true. The idea for loving kindness is kindness, but it's the idea of reproof kindness. So that the Lord looks and in love, he helps get us to doing what's right. Love is not love that accepts poor behavior or accepts doing wrong or allows an individual to go down a path that will lead to hurt and destruction. Loving kindness says, no, 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 look, I love you too much to let you hurt yourself. So the Lord deals in loving kindness, in judgment. That's to give a verdict, a sentence. Righteousness is moral virtue. So nation of Israel, look, you're falling apart. You're going to be destroyed. You've gone away from God. You've gone after Baal. You've done all of these terrible things. And the reason is because you won't know me. But you have to understand, here's what I delight in. Here's what I joy in. The, the word delight is to incline to bend. It's this. It's when a child comes up and they ask something, and it's a small child, and you can't understand what they're saying, or they're trying to get you, and you come to that child and you, you decline. You bend down to them to hear what it is that they're going to say. And when you've got a child who's that tall, hugging that child at that level is so much better than, than the leg pad hug. The idea is that God delights he comes down to us when, in his loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness, we seek moral virtue, we seek to do what's right, we yield to his reproof, and we seek to know him. And we allow the things in life that will bring us to a place of knowing him. When you're a student in school, there are classes that you take along the way that when you get homework in that class, it's, uh. And for some, as students, that was every class you ever took. For others, school was a big deal to you. And you got straight A's and you were that kid that nobody else liked because everything, you just knew it all and you understood it all. And it, you kind of enjoyed all of it. And then there were the rest of us. That when you went through school, there were classes you just didn't like but you, you did what you were supposed to do because your parents made you and then every now and then there was a class that would come along and you just loved that class interesting enough most of the time it had to do with the teacher but you would come to a class that just was in your wheelhouse and when you were in that class and you got homework in that class it was not a chore at all because you so loved the material of that class that you enjoyed getting to do that. I was a math nerd in high school, and so I've always enjoyed math side of things. My senior year, I had seven classes as a senior in high school. Five of them were math classes. I loved it. It was great to me. It was a great year. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every aspect of it. I just didn't enjoy taking English and history. Those were the two that got in the way. And other than that, man, it was a great year. When you find something you love and enjoy doing, then as a result of it, you, you seek it out. It fulfills you. You want to love God such that you seek him out. 
and that he fulfills you. Charles Spurgeon said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of God. A.W. Tozier said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the most important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceives God to be like. The heaviest obligation upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate the church's concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. In churches today, that's what we've lost. God's no longer great. J.I. Packer said, What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowing God. It is the great privilege of man to know God. It is glorious. It is defining. It allows us to be exactly who God created us to be. And the more I know God, the better I grow in my understanding of God. The more I learn about God, the more God has control of me, the more my life will see the fulfillment it was created for. Hold your place here in Jeremiah. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul here in Ephesians helps us a bit with the same idea of getting to know and understand God. And when we look and we begin to glory in God and make that the great show of our life, here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. What Paul's saying is, what I want for you, what I long for for you, is that God would give you a knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Do you understand? When we get God as God in our life, and we glory in God, so many other things just stop being important. It's why we take somebody who plays a game and pay them hundreds of millions of dollars. Because it's just a game. 
but we have so glorified them and so raised them up that we find them worthy of this. And yet we've stopped glorying in God. We have stopped finding God worthy. We have stopped looking at Him for who He is and lifting God up and saying, God, if I'm going to glory in anything, it is the privilege of my life to glory in You, to know You. God extended the invitation to us in Jesus Christ to know Him. He has opened the door so that we can draw close to Him. Now, the great danger of our day is assuming that knowing about God is the same as knowing God. And what happens is now we glory in the fact that we know about God instead of glorying in the fact that we know God personally, intimately. There's a huge difference. Facts are easier to know than people are. Now, we have in our church a higher than average rate of individuals who make their living in fact-based numerical fields. In other words, we have a lot of accountant engineers in here, okay? So, so we have a lot of people who deal in numbers, which is good for me because I speak number, okay? So I, I understand that. But here's the danger. When you live in a numbers world, things add up. Isn't that great? And you can find the mistake. And when it doesn't add up, there's a mistake. And so you go back and you track the numbers until you find the mistake. You have to reconcile something, you can find it. It's, it may take work, but you will get the answer because it's there, it's written, it's in print, it's clear, it just works. The problem is, people aren't numbers. People don't always just work. And it's easier to know numbers than it is to know people. We take that same logic and we can apply it to God. I can know all the facts about God. I can check off the boxes. I can take the test. I can answer the questions. That part's easy for me. It, it, that's facts. I, I can work in that. That's easy. It adds up. But then to understand the person of God and to know him and to let him search the inner parts of my heart and to point out the weaknesses and the frailty to allow the Holy Spirit of God to come in and have control and to yield when I don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't add up, to be able, forgive the word, emotionally, let God have control. I struggle with that. I like adding up. That's good for me. But this other side is much harder for me. And for many of you, that's going to be the same thing. Because we cannot equate knowing about God with knowing God. It is possible to know about God without knowing God intimately. This is the danger of sterile intellectualism. It's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that since we know a lot of things about God, that we must know Him well. Just because we've read the latest book or attended the latest seminar doesn't mean that we know God. 
While knowledge about God is good and absolutely essential, knowing God is more than knowing facts about Him. It's like trying to get to know your wife by reading her resume. Or as someone has said, it's like having a relationship with the postmaster general on the basis of one's ability to lick a stamp. It's hardly a life-changing experience. And yet, we think because we come in, we sit, we listen, we take notes, we pay attention, that we know God. When we don't know God. In your home, you know each other. And you know strengths and you know weaknesses. And truly, that's one of the most amazing things about marriage is that you know each other best and yet you still love each other. And when we take that relationship and we understand that, and then we come to the fact that with God, we have to allow God, and it's hard to say, we have to allow God to know our weaknesses because He already knows them. But we have to acknowledge the fact that He knows them. And we have to gain an understanding and yield to Him and just get to know God at such a level that when the Holy Spirit of God leads and directs and moves, we yield. It's when I walk into the store and I see on the shelf the little Debbie Christmas trees. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, not the chocolate ones like normal people would eat, meaning me, because of course I'm normal, Uh, but the white ones, you know, the white icing ones with the white stuff inside. Who eats those? My wife does. And so, when I see those on the shelf, and they are out, I saw them the other day, I know that she loves them. I also know this. If I get a box of them, do you know how long they'll last? Roughly 24 hours. Roughly. And it depends on what time of day I give them to her. If it's in the morning, they will not make it till bedtime. Okay? They're, they're, the whole box. Go. And she will do the obligatory share them with the kids thing. But it's only because she feels like she has to. She could easily put down a box of those in a day without hesitation. And I'm not making that up. You can ask her afterwards. It's true. It's absolutely true. So when I go to the store, here's what I have to do. I don't have to make the decision about does she want those or not. As long as she's breathing, she wants them. Okay, so that part is understood. But I have to make the decision. Is bringing these home going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Because sometimes eating a box of those in a day is a good day. Sometimes eating a box of those in a day is a bad day. Knowing my wife means knowing whether to bring that box home or not. It's simple. But you don't know that. Now, somebody will bring her a box of those in the next week, and she'll be very grateful for that. But when you know someone and you know about someone are two different things. I want to glory in this, that I get to know and understand God. That I not only know that this is what he wants me to do, but that I know this is what he wants me to do now. That's the difference. Because there are times when there are things that God clearly states in His Word that He wants us to do. But now is not the right time. And knowing God is the difference in those two. 
but I can know him and understand him. God desires to be the treasure of our hearts as we are the treasure of his. It was proven to us on Calvary because he gave Jesus Christ for us. And we have learned, according to Luke, that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So how can I work at growing in my knowledge of God and making him the treasure of my heart? How can I do that? There are three ways. First of all, in my imagination. Each of us carries around a mental picture of who God is. The picture is a collage of lifetime experiences, impressions, and assumptions. The process begins early in life as we observe our parents. Those seemingly all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present beings who rule the cosmos of our home. For better or for worse, as children, we instinctively project our view of parents onto our impression of God. So there is in our imagination, in our mind, and sometimes we think imagination, we think this blown out, unbelievably creative, weird, at some level, imagination. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the world has so perverted imagination, we almost feel like, because we're conservative folks, we almost feel like that to have an imagination about God becomes evil. And yet kids' imagination has not been tainted or corrupted, and they have this unbelievably creative imagination, and it just expands and grows, and that's why kids come and ask you questions, and you just go, do what? I got no idea. I don't know what you're talking, I've never thought of that. Our image in our mind of God has been formed. And we have a picture. Oftentimes that picture is defined by our parents. It is why, without a doubt, I have no issue understanding the love of God. Because I have parents who love me unconditionally. For all of their weaknesses, there is no doubt that they love me. And I understand that. Hey, that's a privilege. That's something I want to pass on. There's more that I want to think about God. And it's perfectly okay that we begin to think and imagine a little bit of what God is like. And we don't imagine out of a place of a lack of knowledge. I've got a friend who is an unbelievably creative individual. His creative skills are off the charts. He's creative in an art kind of a way. But he got a job working for a defense contractor. You go, how does an artsy guy get a job as a defense contractor? He's so creative, they come to him and they say, here's all the new technology coming out in the world. How can we use it? And his mind is not limited by reality like the rest of us. And and so he just takes these things and he just throws out there these unbelievable scenarios that you could use this technology for. But he takes what he knows and then he kind of just blows it up and expands it and it works. When it comes to God, we can take what we know. We're going to look at that more in just a second. But we can just imagine a little bit. 
and we begin to think about God. When was the last time you just stopped to think about heaven? We know certain things about heaven. We know them, we know them to be true. We also know that at whatever age you are at, that life has length to it. And sometimes days can seem like years. And yet we're going to spend eternity, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years with God. And haven't you ever had the thought, isn't it going to get boring at some point? What are we going to do for all of that time? And you have people go, are we just going to sit on the cloud and play a harp? I mean, what are we going to do? And to imagine and to know that we have not even gotten a glimpse in our wildest imagination. And then to imagine a little bit about God. But to form that desire and that treasure by imagination is framed through revelation. Scripture reveals to us the framework for who God is. We understand certain things to be true about God. Where we get ourselves in trouble is when we imagine God to be opposite of what the framework of Revelation teaches us. And so we take the framework of Revelation and we begin to put understandings in place of who God is. But all of who God is could not possibly be written in Scripture. So we then can begin to think and to expand out. So we go from our imagination, we bring in revelation, and then finally we add in investigation. We, we work at learning. Why is it we are so content to know so little about God? The older I get, and I, I don't know if this is true of everyone, but it does seem to be true of me. The, the older I get, the more when I get a hold of a subject matter or something I want to know about, the more investigation I have to do about that. And if I find out something... Now, Kara was convinced she did not want to learn anything about twins when she found out she was pregnant with the girls. I did. I'd never had twins. So I wanted to know about them. And so I started... I read... I watched more moms doing YouTube videos about twins than I ever in my life thought that I would watch. I learned everything I could. I, in fact, Kira will tell you this, I was really bothered by our specialist that we had for the pregnancy because I asked him a question and he said, he goes, oh no, that can't be. And he was wrong and I knew he was wrong because I had done enough studying to know he was wrong. And so I told Kara, I said, I don't like him, he's wrong. And she goes, well, he did go to college for like nine years to study this. He's still wrong. I'm just telling you, there's proof. There's scientific proof. Here, I watched the video. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I really did study this out. And I'm going, I, because I wanted to know what I was getting into. Like it really matters. Like I have any idea still what I'm getting into. Why is it we are so desirous to understand certain things? and yet to not understand God we're good with. It's okay. I, I, I know what I need to know about Him. I can learn what I need to learn, get the encouragement I need to, in a couple hours a week, I'm good. Oh, 
that we would say, I want God to be the treasure of my life. It is the great privilege for me to glory and understand Him. And so to understand Him, and this is what He delights in, that I'm going to give my life to investigating and learning more and more and more about Him. God clearly lays out for us those things that delight Him. And that should instantly make them the highest priority of our life. You go back over to Jeremiah chapter 9 and look there at the end of verse 24. For in these things, what are these things? That we glory in this, that we can understand and know God. That's what he glories in. That's what he delights in. That's what he bends his knee and inclines to hear. So if the God of all creation, who made me and sustains me, says, you want to know what makes me happy? This is what makes me happy. That you want to know me. You get older. Christmas time comes rolling around every year. When you're a kid, man, you got a list of all the things you want. And it seems like the older you get, the smaller that list gets, the more expensive the items on the list get, but the smaller the list gets until the day that list really goes away. And you ask somebody who's got older kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, you say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I want you to come see me. That's what I want. That's all. That's all they ask for. That's all they want. Why? Because as the wisdom of age grows, they understand that to know and understand is more important than anything else. That's their delight. And that's God's delight. That we would know and understand Him. You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At hbcga.org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.